Hello, this is Yaro Starek, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Natalie Sisson. Hello, this is Yaro Starek, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today, with a very special guest, uh, Ms. Natalie Sisson, coming from all the way in Wellington, New Zealand, presently, but can be found all over the planet. She's otherwise known as the suitcase entrepreneur. Natalie, hello for joining. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Do you always find that every guest you have is special? Because I do. I'm always like, oh, I have this special guest. And I'm like, damn it, I say that every <laughs> Yes, I do think that every single time. But I do mean it. You are special. So don't, <laughs> don't feel like you're not. <laughs> so, Natalie, um, I... This is going to be hard possibly for you to do, but I always like to give a claim to fame at the start of this so people know why it's worth listening to you. Um, obviously, with a title like The Suitcase Entrepreneur, there's one thing we have to sort out straight away. You don't sell suitcases, do you? I do not. I have been asked if I do. No. So it's not anything to do with luggage as retail. <laughs> it's more to do with the whole idea of traveling and lifestyle freedom, right? Absolutely. Setting up a business that supports the lifestyle you want. Okay, so what's, what's the biggest achievement you'd like to tell our audience that's worth listening to you uh, mm -hmm. about? What's something, I know there's money we can talk about, there's countries you visited. Give us your best, best work. <laughs> you know, I think probably one of my biggest claims to fame for me personally was cycling down Africa, six and a half thousand Ks, which is 4,000 miles over two months and raising about twelve and a half thousand dollars for charity because it was a huge personal uh, challenge. Like my ass hurt every single day <laughs> and I had never cycled 120 to 180 kilometers a day for that many days in a row. Um, and it just was, as I said, yeah, hugely challenging for me personally, but also such an achievement um, in terms of the whole success of the trip that I did with lots of other people who were doing it, around 40 or 50 others, but that was pretty momentous in terms of going through eight different countries and cycling past elephants and visiting safaris and changing five flat tires a day. It became known as flatly because I got this <laughs> flat tire problem that happened. So, yeah, that's probably my biggest claim to fame. That sounds epic. You, you make it sound like it's downhill all the way, though, when you said you, you rode down Africa, but I assume it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Okay, that's pretty epic. Now, you, so you've done, I guess, what you could call these lifestyle, these experiences throughout your mm -hmm. travels. Now, I know you've written a book, and you've obviously funded your travels through internet business. How long has this all been going for? You know what? This is my fifth year now. So April 2015 will be five years in business, um, even though the first six months of having my business, which was just a blog, as you probably well know, Yara, come from a similar background. Um I didn't make any money in that first six months. Uh, but I actually just had my first multiple six-figure year, so that was pretty awesome. And it always astounds me that it's coming up to five years in business. I did read your 2014 end-of-year report, and there was quite a few milestones there. There's bought a couple of properties, saved $100,000, traveled to X number of countries, um, mm -hmm. dated two men at the same time. There was so many, <laughs> so many highlights. So. <laughs> Just to pick up on that, do you know what? I never talk about that stuff in my blog. It's always just about business and travel and more about business. And I thought, you know what? I'll just show a little bit more of myself because I'm sure people always wonder, if you're traveling all the time, how do you hold down relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, oh, I'll just put a little bit in there, but nothing really. And people have just jumped on it going, oh, that's so exciting. I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> Transparency. You know, once you do it, you open the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right, Natalie. Well, let's tell people how exactly, first of all, you make a living, because that's really important for, I think, anyone who's listening who wants to replicate this. I'm always curious about the how you make money part. But before we get to that, can we go back in time and look at your life before you became this suitcase entrepreneur? Uh, in particular, any sort of entrepreneurial endeavors during your early days, teenage years, even preteen years? Were you an entrepreneur from the beginning or have you had a career before this? No, I actually was never an entrepreneur, although looking back, uh, last year I came back home to New Zealand to visit family and we had a bit of a flood in the basement and it forced these boxes that I had all these diaries and journals in. Uh, the only thing that I don't fit in my suitcase is those. And uh, I had to go through all of them because a lot of them got damaged. And it was incredible reading back over diaries that I wrote for about eight years in a row. So one, my love of writing. Two, I apparently was on the magazine committee at school. I can't remember that. Three, I studied two degrees at university and one of them was tourism and travel and the other one was um, information systems. And as I was looking through all this stuff, there was this really beautiful connection that I could see. I was like, huh, it was always there, right there in front of me, this fact that I love to travel, that I studied tourism, that I wrote in the magazine, that I wrote journals, that I was always thinking about different ways to kind of, I guess, make a little bit of money when I was studying and at school. And I really wish I'd gone back to that earlier because now it seems perfect that I have the suitcase entrepreneur platform. But sometimes you have to go through life like eight years in the corporate world, which is what I did, before you recognize what you really should be doing. So you graduated from those two degrees and went straight into work as a... Recruitment consultant. What a shocking choice um, decision for a career. I mean, it was just good money. So it was good money. It was a good opportunity. And I hated it. And I left it nine months later. And then I got into a baseline entry-level marketing role in the motor industry organization. And then I went into lotteries commission. I went into uh, being a national brand manager for a major hair care brand. I've done a lot of different jobs. And every single time I've kind of progressed up the rank, I've always shot way higher than I supposedly should for that job. So I've talked my way into a lot of jobs and um, had some incredible ones actually right to the end when I was working in London as the head of propositions development, which my friends always thought was so appropriate uh, <laughs> for their their business association basically turning doctors into entrepreneurs. So that was my final super well-paid role that looked amazing on paper, but in reality was just horrible and forced me into starting my own business, which I'm very thankful that it did it. So it sounds like you did get to travel a bit because you're from New Zealand originally, but you were in, in England for your final job. Yeah, I did get to travel a lot with my role um, previous to that. I was actually the product manager for EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So I got to travel all over Europe, and I loved that. And even when I was working and living in London, I traveled all the time every weekend, like most people do in London. Got out for ultimate Frisbee tournaments and seeing other places and sometimes for work. Yeah, so travel's always been there since I was about two years old. But clearly you were not happy with this whole full-time employment thing. What was it about it, and did you see entrepreneurs doing things like were you starting to study the internet and internet marketing at this stage like when did that doorway open for you you know what I actually wasn't isn't that crazy um I just knew that I didn't want to be working for somebody else anymore and particular the last job that I had was in a trade union professional association where everybody clocked in at nine left dead at five didn't want to do anything extra in their role um it was just heaped and just tons of political and social obligations and game playing and all those sorts of things that you probably maybe have never experienced. So that was the thing that put me off totally was just 
that I didn't actually want to wake up in the morning and go to work, which is very rare for me. And I was sick of all the games that people were playing and the office politics, and it just made me want to run away from it by a mile. So I shot off to Vancouver, Canada, actually, and um, played ultimate frisbee at world champ level and then went, right, I'm going to start my own business. But to answer your question, no, I wasn't even really involved in the online stuff. I had been dabbling in some social media, um, and when I got to Vancouver, Canada, I started a blog. So... That was 2008. I wasn't exactly the first to start blogging by any means. In fact, it's probably late to the game. Why did you choose a blog? I just wanted to talk about my experiences, I guess. So I'd made this major change and I was like, okay, I'm going on an entrepreneur's journey. How appropriate. And I was like, I want to um, go back to diary writing, but I didn't want to write in diaries anymore. So I thought a blog was a perfect place to be able to kind of collect my thoughts and have a cathartic experience of sharing what I was going to be going through had you like saved a nest egg so you could because i'm assuming you dropped this job mm-hmm. and you know career as a ultimate disc player i'm, I'm assuming wasn't something <laughs> as an option <laughs> so <Definitely not. laughs> um, you know what i really hadn't i i tend to live my life by throwing myself into a situation that i have to work to get out of so i felt if i had a nest egg which i didn't because i'd actually just invested in a property in london so i'd spent all my last little bit of bonus and the pension from this job into that and I really didn't come to Vancouver with much which in hindsight was tough because it's an expensive city so I had to make things work and I had to get going like straight away I was very fortunate to meet a few great friends who put me up in their apartments for longer than they should have and um, you know I just budgeted as hard as I could until I met my co-founder of a technology startup that we started but had I not had that kind of desire to do that because I needed to earn money. I don't think I would have got into what I was doing as soon as I did. So I always think it's good to not have a backup plan and a huge amount of savings. And I'm not advising that for everybody, but for me it works. I do think you need to be somewhat self-motivated. Nothing nothing <laughs> like sitting on the couch after quitting your job going, ah, it'll all work out. I'm sure something <laughs> exactly. will find me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, you're in Vancouver. You've got some friends helping you out in terms of accommodation but you're obviously you're running out of money so did you like what happened next natalie how'd you survive well i didn't start pimping myself out if that's what you're insinuating <laughs> I, wasn't um, gonna, I wasn't gonna go there but <laughs> <laughs> i luckily talked myself into this co-founding role of my business partner who had an idea for a technology company which was actually to build a facebook app that allow you to make payments on facebook which in 2009 at the time was kind of beyond what anybody would think about and a little bit risky. But he kindly paid me a salary um, and we also did a whole lot of um, finance rounds and I got investors on board. So it was a huge learning curve for me. It was like dropping myself into the entrepreneurial game and just going, oh my goodness, I'm learning so much, which is why I was blogging because I was like, I can't even keep up with everything that I'm being exposed to and the people that I met and the way that it was going and the frantic pace that tech companies are kind of built. Um, And I just learned so much during that time. My role really as co-founder was one, get investors on board, two, figure out the business model and three, build a customer base from zero with zero budget using social media and blogs and all those great tools. So did you get rich from the startup? Uh, No, I actually didn't. No. And, uh, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I rich in terms of experiences, the company's actually doing really well now. They're the number one fundraising app on Facebook. And I absolutely know that they're going to rock it as they keep going and, and become even more profitable. And I can't say that I was responsible for much of that success at all. I'd like to think I was there from the beginning, but, um, 
No, I did not become rich from that. Like so many tech startup people think they're going to be the next big thing. Um, but did did learn a lot about that industry as well. It's massively male-dominated, which led to me starting my, my blog, Women's World, to kind of talk about that whole aspect of being a woman in a tech industry and how do you relate and how do you build a business and how does that differ, um, which is to this day my blog, but totally different now, obviously, in terms of target audience and what I talk about. So why did you leave it though? Was was there a because it sounds way better than what you were doing for a job? I was I assume right. very stressful, no doubt. But at least you're yeah. in charge of your own destiny in some regard, right? Yeah, I did feel that to a point because we were business partners. But I think because it was always um, Daryl's money that had been put in there, and and then obviously other people's money that we got, that it wasn't solely my thing. And I also didn't fully believe in the product that we've been building. So at the beginning, I was 100% into it. But as we built it, it just became one of those perfect um, feature-rich things where people, everybody tells you what should be part of the product, and then it becomes this clunky piece of crap. And so I couldn't, from my sort of standpoint of integrity, I couldn't market it with full heart just mm. because I didn't believe it truly did what it needed to do. And and we knew that, and there were problems, but I I couldn't do my role well enough. And actually, to his credit, my business partner said, you know what, Natalie, you've been doing such a great job on the social media front and marketing this and building the networks and building a community. It's clearly a strength you have. Maybe you should consider taking your blog and turning it into a business. And we had a really great, honest, transparent conversation. I was like, that's a great idea. So I gave it a couple more months and, you know, left them in a really good place with everything handed over and all the sort of plans there to go and I was like great now I've got this blog and then I woke up one morning going oh my god all I have is a blog and I have like what was I thinking so it was a bit of a reality check for me I've been hesitant to ask um, your age throughout this whole process uh, just for obvious sensitivity reasons but could you sort of time stamp where we're at now because you said you started blogging in 08 but I love to hear people who, you know, they haven't started when they're 16 with their first business and mm -hmm. they're really successful by 21, that sort of scenario, which is often portrayed by the media as sort of the standard story. But it's certainly not. And obviously people start at different points in time. But you, so you actually started your blogging business, which is probably the foundation for what you do today, mm -hmm. you know, eight as a late 20 year old Am I around uh, that right area? <laughs> you know, what if I'm looking at, I must have been 32. I'm 37 now, so 37 years young. So, yeah, I was really late to the game, big time late to the game. Um, and I, so that's why I often will pinch myself when I look back because, I, you know, so many of these entrepreneurs I meet now who are 18 or 19, I just look at them and I'm like, ah, oh, damn, I wish I would have thought about doing some of this back then or had been exposed to in university um, the communities that would really help me or mentors. I didn't have any of that really until I hit Vancouver when I did meet a lot of entrepreneurs and just got exposed to their world. So I'm really appreciative of that. But in some ways, I would have loved to have started earlier. Okay. So take us forward from that transition point. You're 32. You've got a blog. You've been writing for a while, but you hadn't really seen it as your business. <laughs> you've left the startup. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm laughing because 32 with a blog sounds like a terrible place to be, doesn't it? Um, and how did I ever dig myself out of that hole? Well, tell us. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> um, I hustled. Like I hustled strategically, I would say. I did throw a lot of spaghetti at every wall to see what stuck, but I really just focused on the strengths of the relationships that I built in Vancouver the strength of the networks that I had and taking what I had done really well in all my previous roles in marketing, brand management, business development, plus what I'd learned in the startup over the 18 months of building something from scratch. And I applied it to other people who took me on as a, 
a consultant. I only did a couple of consulting gigs. Consulting was not for me. I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to be paid by somebody else to solve their problems either. Um, might be strange like that, but I just wanted to work on my own thing. So I looked at all my talents combined. I figured out my sweet spot and I was like, you know what? I break stuff down that's complex and I make social media and online tools and technology seem easier to people and how they can apply it to grow their business. So uh, the very first thing that I got paid for bar a client piece of work that I literally got paid for 50% up front, ran across the road and banked it because I didn't have enough money for my rent for the first time in my life, which was a scary thing. Aside from that, I actually made, um, I went from zero to $15,000 in one month by running some social media boot camps for entrepreneurs. And that was like me off and running from there. I never really looked back, not saying it was smooth sailing by any means, but every single time I just look at, well, what did I know? What was I doing? Well, what would people ask me about all the time and how could I build something that they would pay for that would create tons of value for them? And that was a good use of my time in theirs. Okay. So you, you, you offered a live workshop, like a bootcamp in person for social mm-hmm. media training. Can you mm-hmm. just break that down? Because for a lot of people, that's the challenge. It's like, okay, yeah. you have an audience, you put a sales page up, you have an email list, you send them an offer, and they buy your product. Is Did you know how to do I mean, You must have known how to do some of that from your, your previous experience, obviously, but did that all coalesce into this perfect offer you made for the first time ever from your blog? Like, How did it come to be? Well, this is great because what you just said I didn't do at all, and had I known you back then and asked you, I would have just followed your instructions. But no, I didn't actually have much of an email list at all. Um, I certainly didn't really have a great blog at that point. And what did I do? I actually put it on Eventbrite. I reached out to my networks to share it around the networks in Vancouver only. I think I did talk about it a bit on my blog, but not everybody in my blog was based in Vancouver. Um, And I just once again talked to any single person that I could about these workshops coming up. Um, I also found out that there was some government funding that if you're an entrepreneur and you went along to training of any type, you could get up to $1,500 rebate. So I priced my workshops at $1,500 for the weekend and then said, hey, there's this government funding, which essentially means you pay $100 and you get the rest for free. So that was brilliant. Like Mm. I just worked every single angle. And so, you know, I don't charge that much for my workshops now, but I could because of that loophole. Um, and I ran three of them because each time I put one on, I realized it was actually getting booked out. It was only like eight to 10 people that I could fit. And I was just smart about where I held them. I held them in really good locations, but got good deals on the rentals and did my numbers and went, okay, I think I can do pretty well from this. And then the biggest hurdle that I had to get over actually, Arrow, was saying, who am I to teach social media to small business owners? Like it, that was the biggest hurdle. Like, who am I? Because it was still relatively new at that stage. I know Twitter and Facebook have been around since 2004, 2005, but people weren't really using them to drive business. And um, I just developed materials and went through everything that I thought would be useful and ran the workshops live and continued to tweak and improve them. And they got really great response. You know, there's nothing like holding a live workshop to get people to actually show you how they're um, learning from what you're doing, what else they need to know. Mm. And uh, I loved it. When you say you reached out to your contacts, can you just clarify, does that mean getting on the phone or just emailing everyone with like a BCC in your address book? Because it's different from today where you blast the blast your mailing list, post to Facebook, share on Twitter, share on LinkedIn, and that would be reaching out to your network. It sounds like you didn't have those online networks too, you know, not so established yet, so you no, had to do it old school. 
Yeah, I did actually. So I did get on the phone to people. I, you know, went for coffees with people. I went to networking events. I talked about what I was doing. Um, Eventbrite itself is a directory listing, as you know. So there were some people who just found it through that. But I was fortunate enough to know from all the entrepreneurs, meetups and things that I'd been to that there was a good amount of people out there who were interested in it. So I just had to find one or two key people who would be like gung-ho for it and who already had a bit of an audience or a community, not even online, but who could suggest a few people. And then those people would say, yes, I'm in, and then they'd suggest somebody. So it really became, if I could get one or two people to talk about it along with myself, they'd suggest people, and then it's word of mouth, and then people started kind of rocking up and going, yep, I'd love to come. Okay. So you paid your rent and then some, and it, yeah. and, and it was doing well. What did you, did you see yourself doing events for the rest of your life? Like how are you going to transition to the next step? It's pretty funny, actually. So I had this amazing month of being, you know, from broke to actually profitable. And unlike anybody else that I know, I decided, wow, this is a great time to just up and leave all my networks and all the friends that I have and everything that I've established over the last two years in Vancouver to go and take this business, which wasn't still really a business, let's be honest, and go traveling. So I actually took off the pretty much five days after my last workshop and headed off to LA to stay with friends and then went down to Buenos Aires in Argentina to live. You didn't have the suitcase entrepreneur domain name yet, did you, at that point? I did. It came about three months later. So at that point, it was still Woman's World. And I took this workshop that I did. I turned it into an online program. I recorded over top of all my PowerPoints and spent 30 hours producing all these videos and audios and then did what you said earlier, which is, oh, now I need to figure out what a sales page looks like, what should be on it, how I build a membership site, what I should charge for it, how I drip feed content, all the stuff, and do that while I'm traveling to the other side of the world to a place where my Spanish really sucks. You don't, you don't so, like making it easy for yourself, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, I really don't. And there's a pattern of that that's happened throughout my entire life. When something looks like I've kind of got it established, I tend to, you know. Uh, run away <laughs> on a plane. Yeah. And it makes it more challenging, but I think it makes you stronger and it makes you more it's easier to adapt or you get very much more creative. So I think in many ways, while it might've put me back sometimes, it strengthened me in so many other ways. Can you maybe take us through all those things you did? So learning how to do a sales page membership site, I know you love keeping abreast of all the latest technology. It's you, you told me in person, we met in Melbourne that that's one of your favorite things is knowing all the gadgets online. Did that sort of start at this point? You were really looking at, Everything. Yeah, so. I mean, I do a little less of that these days because I've got some really good systems, so I don't want to mess with it. But, yeah, at that time I was like, okay, how does one do this? I'm, I'm using WordPress. Can it be used in a better way? I didn't know about lead pages at that point. It wasn't available. Um, I certainly didn't want to go through to using something like Wishlist. I think I ended up going with Optimized Press at the time and um, just figured out the back-end system of that. How do I, you know, use Vimeo to embed these videos? How do I upload all these documents, use Dropbox to share the files on there. Um, how do I give people access to the site without making it overly complicated? I was using PayPal, so I wasn't trying to do anything too too full on there. And uh, then it was all just about really the key part, which is marketing it. So uh, I will actually say that I didn't do a very good job of that. And I ran a webinar, the first webinar in my life. And it was a great webinar, but I'd almost lost my voice. So that, that wasn't very cool. And I made one sale. 30 people turned up and I made one sale. And I was like, hmm, 
I don't know if this is going to cut it. (laughs) I probably did all the things wrong that you should do. I didn't invest in anybody else for sales page copy. I didn't invest in hiring someone to help me with the membership site setup. I did it all myself, but I'm so glad I did because I never do that now, really. I still get involved, but it was just good to go through it myself and see what is involved because later that actually became something that I could teach as well. And uh, sometimes you just have to do things on a budget. So you were in Buenos Aires sitting there just learning everything yourself. Yeah, with crappy internet and eating, you know, like empanadas and drinking Finet and Coke and going out the street and forgetting that I was in Argentina and I couldn't really talk to anybody. And, yeah, it was definitely an interesting time. No doubt. And you were continuing <laughs> to tell these stories, right? Because that, by that point, had you started the Suitcase Entrepreneur as well? Yeah, I think I rebranded it. So I got there in, like, November of 2000 and. 10, 2000, yeah, November, December. And by January of 2011, I had rebranded over um, to Suitcase Entrepreneur, which I had talked to somebody about at a conference in the US. And they're like, you're a traveling entrepreneur. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And they're like, no, you're a suitcase entrepreneur. I was like, that's brilliant. So (laughs) I really stepped into the brand from there and everything started to change because I finally had, you know, Woman's World, which is for all women entrepreneurs around the world, is not a niche, as you know. And so I could never really get specific on what it was that I offered, apart from inspiring women to become business owners. And so when it became the suitcase entrepreneur, everything clicked into place. Like all those things you talked about, online tools and technology and social media to run a business from anywhere suddenly made sense. So every product and guide and book that I wrote and program that I produced was always based around creating freedom in business and adventure in life. Throughout this process, because you're quite an established information marketer now, as you said, lots of products, all digital. I know you still do a bit of live events, but I'm assuming most of your income today is is all digital product. Did you ever study anything like the sales funnel or did you just keep sort of learning by practicing yourself? Yep. I'm a self-taught student of life. Like I've written a book on what makes an effective sales funnel. But until I set up Infusionsoft myself and started looking through how it all worked out and figured it out, um, I hadn't really considered all those avenues. I think I had for other businesses that I'd been um, running as the product manager or brand manager, there was a certain amount of marketing campaign nuance that I had to know. And I was playing with other people's budgets and, you know, really working through their creative and looking at what worked. So, I would say eight years of corporate experience definitely served me well, but it wasn't related to the information marketing world. Like websites back then weren't the key thing for those businesses. It was all around the client relationships and the marketing and the advertising, which is quite different to how we sort of run our businesses online. You know, I was putting up billboards and magazine ads, whereas I would never do that in my own business. Um, But yeah, I think every single thing that you do serves you well, right? The fact that I play ultimate Frisbee and, um, captain teams from time to time or I coach or I'm part of teams and it, all of the stuff actually starts to add up in your beautiful experience of what makes up life mm. and then apply it in every single way every single day it's what I find so fascinating you know speaking of, of advertising how did the growth go for you in, in particular with traffic growth I know mm-hmm. for example the suitcase entrepreneur has been a fantastic brand for you getting press coverage right because people love to hear the story of this woman traveling around the world running her own business but you know in terms of the core customer acquisition how you've grown your list how you've found your customers how have you built your audience uh through just genuine connections and putting out repeatedly what i would hope is useful valuable timely great content 
um, providing it in a way that makes it easy for people to apply it. Um, so I wouldn't actually call myself an information marketer. I always think of myself as a leading learner, which I stole off Roger Hamilton, which is where I know just enough more than the person who's coming up behind me to be able to teach them and they find that valuable. Um, so that's what I've sort of banked on all this time is just being a little bit ahead of the game and showing people how they can make their life easier, save more time, save more money, streamline their business, run it from anywhere. And I think that's the key. That being a female entrepreneur with a Kiwi accent, uh, with an adventurous attitude, I think helps. And just living and breathing my brand is probably what I get the most feedback on every day through my podcast, through my blog, through my videos. It's just people feeding back that they love um, how authentic I am and how honest and down to earth and how useful. And um, I think they just like it. So I've just banked off being a likable person who genuinely cares for other people and wants them to have their best life. Can you maybe talk about any tipping points or because I can't imagine you I'm sure you're, you're likable you produce valuable content <laughs> but a lot of people are likable and produce valuable content and sit there and blog all day and no one even knows they exist where well, you've turned this into a you know multiple six-figure business and traveled around the world and written a book and, and you do a lot of things as there's podcasting um, writing a book is no small task as well so what's been the the key like I might be hard for you to answer this, but could you advise the person listening to this who feels that they have a lot of good content, but no one knows they exist yet. You're famous. What have you done differently that they're not doing now? Do you know, that's a great question. I can easily answer it. Actually. I read turning pro by Stephen Pressfield about 18 months to two years ago, right at that time where I'd been like those people you were just describing, I'd been blogging consistently. I'd been doing good stuff. I'd been starting to make traction. I had a fairly decent list, but nothing was really coming easily. It still felt like a bit of a struggle. Revenue was not consistent. And I wasn't, I don't know. I just felt like I was kind of failing more often than I was succeeding. And I remember reading that book where essentially Stephen says, you know, choose yourself and step up one day and just say, Hey, I'm an expert in this matter or I'm turning pro. And I think the biggest hurdle had been, as I came back to myself, just not believing in myself enough and maybe fully never considering that I was an entrepreneur for all those years when I was, um, not giving myself permission to step fully into it. And at the same time when I did that, it wasn't like I read the book and just suddenly did it, but the book was the catalyst to what I'd already been thinking. It just formalized what I was thinking. And I started investing more in myself and in my team and in everything I did. I still didn't have a huge amount of revenue, but I was like, you know what? If I really want to take this seriously, I need to be working with great people who are smarter than me or more talented. I need to put more money and professionalism into what I do. And I need to step up and own this space and become the best version that I can possibly become of myself. And that is honestly when I think things really started to turn because you put that out there and people notice and then they see you like holding yourself a little bit bit smarter or, you know, your head up a bit higher. Or the quality of your products and programs are just that much better. Your content becomes better. The quality of your writing, just everything you do has more of a professional tint. And then people start to step up and notice that and start to pay more for it and start to become interested and involved. And there's plenty of people you've probably seen online, Yara, because you've been in this longer than most people, I think. You can probably see when they turned as well, when they went from doing little crummy YouTube videos on their laptop to buying a decent camera to getting a full professional you know, editing suite. Um, people with podcasts just recording it off the laptop to getting a great studio set up to having a podcast editor. I mean, it's it's just making that leap of faith for yourself and believing. Now, speaking of outsources, it sounds like that was a big change for you. Did, who did you hire and, and what do they do for you? 
The very first person I hired was a virtual assistant two weeks before I went away on my trip um, to Africa because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be offline for two months. And while my business wasn't exactly huge at that point, there was enough that I needed to have somebody just looking after stuff. So I'd pre-written all these blog posts. I was very organized. I had all my emails ready to go, and I just needed her to kind of oversee it. So uh, I hired her through Odesk. She was based in India. Um, something ridiculous like $5 an hour, trained her up in the stuff that I knew over that two weeks, and then basically headed offline on a bicycle um, <laughs> and didn't actually get online for three full weeks. So I wow. didn't even know what was happening, and I was I was a bit worried, but at the same time I was also biking down Africa like I had better things to do. And when I did get online, just to check, everything was perfect. If anything, I'd made money while I'd been cycling. And I also found out that nobody really cared or missed me on social media. Like I think we get this... Um, self-fulfilling prophecy that we're more important than we are or that, oh my gosh, if I don't post today, things are going to go downhill. And everything was just great. And I was like, gosh, I should go offline more often. It's actually <laughs> good for me. Um, and when I did jump online very few times during that entire trip, one, I didn't actually want to be online, which was quite interesting for me to think about. And two, I was ridiculously effective because I only had like half an hour and an hour every week to do something. So it was it was a great experience. The VA handled it really well. And since then, I've taken on a podcast editor. Um, I had a video editor as well, taken on like an online business freedom manager. And I've just sort of grown my team where I need it. And then I hire people to contract for launches and things to do things like membership sites or copywriting or roles around that. So I hire people and when I need them. Okay. Well, I'd love to, I guess, take it forward. I know you continue to travel and maybe in summer we can say Natalie went around the world several <laughs> times and, and grew everything she was doing. Might be the the safer way to describe what you did. Otherwise, you might be here for a long time, right? Because <laughs> you have traveled a lot. Like how, yeah. many, how many cities or countries have you been to? 69 countries right now, which happens to be my favorite number. Not for those <laughs> reasons, by the way. I used to live at 69 Summer Street. But yeah, I'm actually at 69 countries, of which I've, some of those I've seen several times. I don't count cities, but it would be hundreds. And you've been creating product and releasing content for your audience the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, can we maybe just do a quick breakdown of what your business looks like today? I'd love to know, like, to, to, to have the confidence to, to keep traveling, buying tickets. I know you're a travel hacker, so you're, you're good at finding certain, not you know. see that good. I mean, I'm better, but I'm not the kind of travel hacker. I don't have tons of points accrued at all. Um, I just buy really good flight deals when I feel like going to places and organize myself. But I'm not the best travel hacker in the world. Well, you know how to do that part. You know how to obviously <laughs> save some money enough to keep traveling as much as you do. Because traveling that much, you're, you must have a ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar flight budget alone um, some years. So, you know, just to be sure that you're making enough money on top of your flights and living expenses from your online business, I'd love to know how you've structured, because, you know, I'm very interested in, in, the, in that funnel process myself personally as well, in the sense that, you know, do you have low price products, some sort of membership site, high end courses? How have you ended up building a product funnel and what's worked for you in that area? Well, first off, I just love to come back to the travel piece for one minute because I actually think traveling full-time is cheaper than living in one place full-time. And I don't think I've ever spent $10,000 in a year on travel. It's a lot cheaper when you book things in advance and there's lots of different airlines that service different parts of the world like AirAsia, for example, has super cheap flights across Asia, Europe, 
is renowned for having super cheap flights as well. So it's really only the international legs that cost. And then I think you get away because you don't have car payments, mortgage payments, internet payments. You know, everything that you do is kind of bought as you go. So just for those people listening, I actually think travel is, is really reasonable depending on how you play it. And um, coming back to revenue streams, I've got about seven or eight and I've had about seven or eight for the last couple of years. And this year I'm focusing it down to just probably more like four to five, um, but they've all been built over time. So as you know, the very first thing that I, I made money from aside from consulting was this social media boot camp that I turned into an online program. Then I produced the Entrepreneur's Toolkit, which was a guide and also a mini membership site. And then I created this blog, uh, not a blog challenge, but a blog series over 12 weeks. And I turned that into one of my best-selling digital guides. And then I created a series from that. So the BYOB Build Your Online Business series. So there's a sales funnel book in that now. And there's also Am I Your Customer, which is all about finding your ideal customer, figuring out your niche and charging what you're worth. Um, So I've actually narrowed it down. I really only have four guides or digital products that are available, including a Kickstarter book. And I've narrowed it right down to two level offerings where I have the freedom plan, which is my flagship program. I created it last year. It's come out of four and a half years worth of my work. And it's my definitive kind of one-stop program over eight weeks where I teach people how to build an online business and also the whole freedom lifestyle aspect. And then I have a higher level offering for people who are established entrepreneurs already who want to mastermind and um, be mentored and take their business to the next level. And that's a recurring quarterly membership. Uh, through the High Flyer Club. So I really love that I have this flagship program, the Freedom Plan, which is for people starting out or, you know, in the interim stages of the first few years of business. And then the High Flyer Club, which is for people who are much more established with real earning potential who want to be hanging out with like-minded people. Well, I'm confused, but uh, <laughs> thank you for breaking it down, Natalie. <laughs> I'm sure like we, we could go check out your page and ha- your, your products are listed there. So we'll have to mention um, your website. We'll mention it now for people who want to go check it out while we're talking. It's suitcaseentrepreneur.com, best place to go. Um, everything is on there, all my social media sites and podcasts and blogs. But it is a bit confusing that you're confused, so I probably need to do a better job of that. I essentially would say that my revenue comes out of um, products and programs, affiliate marketing, live events, which are workshops and retreat style events, my book, uh, which is its own individual stream because it's through Amazon, speaking, which I get paid for, thanks in part hugely to the book. And those are the main things really that I I guess I make money on these days. So it's pretty streamlined down and I know exactly which sort of percentages of my revenue come out of those now having done a full financial audit. Um, So yeah, and at any one point, depending on what I'm launching or not launching, um, one of those areas will dominate more than the other. Mm -hmm. For a, a listener who is thinking about their first product, given how much experience you have now, and, and I know I would actually tell myself to do something completely different to what I did the first mm-hmm. time for my product, um, what do you tell people to create first as their first thing they sell to start kick off the cash flow? Oh, that's a great question because I actually don't tell them to create one definitive thing. I do get them to really focus in on what is their sweet spot, so that intersection between what they're good at, what their skills are, and what people pay them for. But it really depends on the type of business they want to build, the personality that they have. I know this all sounds 
you know this stuff as well. You can't just tell one person to go out and get paid speaking gigs when they're an introvert. And you can't tell somebody who's not particularly tech savvy to go and build a membership site and a great program. So I always get them to really listen to, you know, what do they love doing? What are people always asking them for? And how can they merge those things to create a product, a program, an offering, uh, whether it's service-based or more passive income-based that's going to work for them? Well, let me give you context then. So let's say it's someone who in particular wants to replicate this traveling lifestyle. So, right. you know, not it's probably not workshops and speaking because that requires <laughs> being somewhere. Plus it's a little bit labor intensive. Yeah. Let's talk about lifestyle freedom. I want something where I, I create it. It keeps selling. It keeps making money while I travel the world. Absolutely. Yeah. So first off, I'd say, well, what can you create that is going to just continue to make you income even when you're not running it? Um, and for that, I think um, a suite of digital guides and products that relate to the work that you do would be excellent. Or more importantly, probably one definitive program that can be run um, as an evergreen or you can launch it two or three times a year and you focus all your efforts into the marketing and then you can go off traveling for the rest of the time while it's running. Um, you know, something like David Seitman Garland's Create Awesome Online Courses is a good example of that. So he continually runs that. He does webinars with affiliates. He markets it through Facebook advertising. And once people have bought it, they're in and it's all drip fed to them. So he doesn't actually run the course live anymore. And uh, it's just a continual game changer and earner for him every single year. Uh, that would be most useful if you're wanting to go offline and travel and not have to worry about things. The reason I still do events and retreats, though, is that I've worked out that I just love the people element. And for me, that lights me up and I get a lot of amazing results when I'm in person with people. Plus, I love bringing other people together to meet like-minded entrepreneurs. So I've now worked them into my travel schedule that wherever I'm going, I'll run an event or a retreat. And so people kind of come to me based on my travels, whereas I used to go to other people for that. So it really depends on what you want out of it. And I think your preferences change as well. Mm, okay. So what are you doing next now, Lisa? I know it's, <laughs> we're recording this at the start of 2015, and you've had a very busy previous year, which has mm -hmm. no doubt impacted your choices for what's coming up in your future. How, what are you doing? What's your goals now? It's ironic, it's doing less and <laughs> traveling less and spending more time in fewer places to really enjoy the culture and the place that I'm in, plus the friends that I've made around the world, and to just be able to enjoy, I guess, at a slightly slower pace. So my year is actually split out. The first half of the year is all focused on continuing to build the community. I'm going to a twice-a-week podcast, and all of that is to include um, basically helping me build my email list build my community and be able to launch the freedom plan on the 1st of May to a huge community. Um, hopefully hundreds and hundreds of people going through it, which will set me up for the rest of the year when I'm going to be completely switching tax, but still um, talking about, about freedom. And I'm going to be undertaking this huge new project that I want to talk to you about. So I guess I can announce it here, which is I would love to create the first ever global study on freedom. Um, I want to create a freedom framework that can be used by individuals and organizations and companies and governments around the world. So it's a big body of work that I'm committing to for the next three to five years. It's going to involve academia, collaborators, team members. It's not something I can do by myself, but um, it's a huge project, Right to Freedom, and it has a, a philanthropic arm to it and just a whole lot of research and work that I need to do behind it. Wow. But the second half of this year is going to be all about starting on that and starting to create this foundation for it. And it's still totally related to us, 
to freedom, as I said, with the suitcase entrepreneur. So I think it's a kind of a beautiful mix of the online focus of that business and then switching to this other big body of work. So are you talking about getting a PhD in freedom? <laughs> oh my God, I love it. If I believed in the educational system that much and that was that important to me, maybe I'll just create my own PhD version. Well, I mean, yeah. who, who wouldn't want to sign up for a PhD in freedom? It sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might just find yourself on the board of strategy, which <laughs> okay. is I'm saying that quickly. That's what I've called it, the board of strategy. I've got a few key players that I've been asking to come on that to help me because this is such a big piece of work and it, it has so much depth and application, but at the same time, it could go down so many rabbit holes. So okay. um, we can definitely talk. If there's an opportunity to wear one of those, um, what are they called? The, when you graduate, you get to wear the... Oh, yeah, the little hats and the capes. There's a name for it. I know what it is, but I can't remember it. But if I get to wear, like, the gown and the outfit as part of the board, I'm in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not superficial at all, Natalie. (laughs) 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 What's the academic nature of it, you know, (laughs) anyway? (laughs) Um, Okay, Natalie, so uh, suitcaseentrepreneur.com. And that's where you can find everything you're doing. It sounds like podcasting is a big part of what you're doing at the moment. So definitely go check out your work in, in podcasting and, and obviously your any training products if you want to work with Natalie closer. Um, anything else you want to mention to my audience before we say goodbye? No, but I just love the line of questions and I hope it's been super valuable for people. And I guess if anything, I would love for people to step up and turn pro. So if they're listening to this and they've gained any nuggets or they just think I'm some crazy lady who lives in a suitcase, just know that I've actually applied a lot of ruthless um, determination to what I do and a lot of focus to prioritize freedom, which is my underlying value. And everything has been built out of that. So I'd say focus in on that one thing you really want out of life and build your business around it. I think we're kindred spirits, Natalie. I, I think I've said the word freedom on a lot of podcasts myself, uh, <laughs> along with the, the word avoiding a full-time job, which is kind of is <laughs> two sides of the same coin, I think. But um, thank you, Natalie. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything you're up to. I can't wait to hear more about this uh, PhD in freedom that you're working on and, um, and possibly bump into you at some point this year as well as I'm hopping on a plane to visit some places where you might be close by. So uh, thank you again. Yeah. Good luck, and thanks from everyone at Entrepreneur's Journey as well. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. You can head to my blog, which you can find at entrepreneurs-journey.com for more episodes like this, or you can Google my name. It's always the easiest way to find me, Yaro, Y-A-R-O, and uh, everything that I've done will show up on Google. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.